every single one of our member companies is mission-based, and they're not just in this to make a quick buck, right? They're in this to really make a difference, and I think that is what helps drive this desire for a community and a real um, willingness on behalf of the companies to help each other along. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saber and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. If this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just look for the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. And if you like what you're hearing, I'd love for you to leave us a review because that way even more people get to find out about us and listen in. And another thing that I'm really proud to share with you this week is that we just released our first Plant-Based Entrepreneur Insider Report on business opportunities in 2017. You have an overview of seven sectors with the biggest potential with the amount of competition in them, the funding requirements to get started, and the biggest challenge you can expect to face in each of them. So you can download this report from our website, theplanbasedentrepreneur.com. And if you're already on our insider list, there should be a special link to it directly in the email that you received this week. So go check it out. And with that said, let's get started with today's interview. For this episode today, I'm joined by Michelle Simon. Michelle is a published author and public health lawyer who's been writing about the food industry and the policies that affect it for over 20 years. But what's even more important is that she's the executive director of the Plant-Based Foods Association, which I believe is the first of its kind in the United States and quite possibly the world as well. So today we'll be talking about their role and why you definitely want them on your side if you have any sort of vegan food business. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me. And um, since we have a bit less time than usual for this interview, we'll just try and focus on the most important parts of your work. But first of all, just so the listeners know who you are, can you just add a bit more to, to the intro that I did of you and kind of fill in the blanks about who you are and why, why you're passionate about what you're doing? Sure. Well, um, you know, I've been researching and writing about the dark side of the food industry for for a long time, and I started out my my career path really with a with an interest in plant based foods, and so I was writing about the the political influence of the meat and dairy industries, and then I kind of broadened my um, my work from there. And what I've noticed, though, in the last few years is the food industry is really shifting in a much more positive direction. So while we still have a lot of problems caused by, you know, um, the overproduction and overconsumption of, of animal-based foods and, and sugary sodas and the rest of the junk food diet that, unfortunately, most Americans are still eating, there is a positive shift happening. And I, I really wanted to to shift away from my work, which was, you know, focusing on what's wrong and, and rather help the food companies that are really um, trying to do the right thing. And we're seeing just so much more of that happening right now. And, and of course, consumers right along with that, uh, shifting their diets. And so it's really been um, a, a really positive turn for me to be able to help the food companies that are really doing the right thing, but also in 
using some of the same strategies that the um, meat and dairy industries use. So, you know, th- those companies have trade groups to represent them. And so my idea was to have similar representation, a similar collective voice on behalf of plant-based food companies. Yes. And that's that's kind of the role of the Plant-Based Foods Association, to, to represent the, the entire plant-based foods sector in, in terms of policymaking, if I understand correctly, if that's it in a nutshell, right? That is it, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the um, policies that favor meat and dairy, the meat and dairy industries, are because of the collective action of those sectors and the way they've, you know, had an undue influence on our, our political system. And so we need a counterweight, a counter voice, if you will, of plant-based food companies to say, well, you know, this is how those policies actually undermine the ability of plant-based food companies to succeed in the marketplace. And, you know, to have that voice is so important. And, of course, individual companies on their own, um, even if they're large companies, cannot have the same um, weight that can't carry the same weight that a, a trade group can. But it's also important to have um, a trade group represent the interests of, in, of the industry, not just in policymaking, but you know when it comes to helping retailers, for example, understand the category because conventional retailers want to. You know, take advantage of this growing consumer interest, but they not—they may not understand, um, you know, what this is all about. And so, this is another way that we are working collectively to help bring together all the information, whether it's whether our audiences, policymakers, the media, retailers, even the general public, about why it's important to shift towards um, a plant-based diet and all the, you know, wonderful types of products that are out there that help consumers do exactly that. Right. So for any size plant-based foods company that becomes a member of, of the association, what are some benefits for them? Mm-hmm. Well, the best benefit, especially for smaller companies, is simply the network that we're creating. And, and I'm so proud of the fact that companies are really getting to talk to each other, build really strong relationships. We've created a mentoring program so smaller companies can get you know, um, teamed up with someone who has more experience and so there's just this huge community that is is happening with now we have 80 members and then we just came back from the um, natural product trade show in Southern California where we had a reception of 400 people showed up and there's just so much, uh, you know, community being built where companies are helping each other, where people are learning about the business. And then, of course, the other um, benefits are what we talked about, which is collective action, whether it's you know, helping educate retailers or having that voice because it's really important, especially for small companies that, you know, can't go lobby themselves in Washington, but now they can be part of our organization that is doing that on their behalf. And then there's all kinds of uh, media opportunities as well that I create for our members, whether it's through our own press releases or when I talk to a reporter and say they're interested in a certain category, then I can tap um, one or two of our members to introduce that reporter to. So there's many ways that um, we're able to help companies um, in growing their business. Yeah. And, you know, just since you were mentioning the, the network, do you notice this as well? Because this is a topic that's been popping up with a lot of my guests that in, in this sector, not, not just foods, but the entire plant-based sector, there's a, 
much bigger drive to to collaborate instead of compete. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I you know I can't speak to um, what other food sectors are like, but you know I can say that what's really exciting and inspiring is that every single one of our member companies is mission based, and they're not just in this to make a quick buck, right? They're in this to really make a difference, and I think that is what helps drive this desire for a community and a real um, willingness on behalf of the companies to help each other along. Like, you know, there isn't this kind of idea, oh, well, you know, they're a competitor, I'm not even going to talk to them. No, they understand that, you know, it takes many, many companies to help shift our food supply away from the destructive animal-based um, situation that we're mostly in now towards a plant-based food. So, you know, no one company can help fix the disaster of animal, industrial animal agriculture. And so I think there is a real um, recognition that, that we do want to help each other grow. And then, of course, as we help, as the companies help each other, it, it only benefits the entire category. And that's the, the beauty of a trade group is that by really helping each individual company, the category in general um, will get bigger. Yeah. And now that we're touching on size, um, how about the the lawmaking aspect of this? Because if, if we're talking going against the meat or the dairy industry, it's kind of you, you get the image of this David versus Goliath fight. So how, how does that work in, in terms of lobbying for, for laws that mm-hmm. favor plant-based foods, for instance? Right. Well, there's no question, you know, uh, as a very small startup organization, we simply don't have um, anywhere near the resources that the meat and dairy lobby does. That said, however, it is a growing industry, and we certainly know, at least in terms of, for example, the cow's milk category, um, that is going down in consumption while plant-based milks are, are on the rise. And so we're able to, you know, make that kind of a case when we go talk to members of Congress that consumers are making the shift away from animal-based foods towards plant-based. And, you know, politicians have to listen to what consumers want. And so even if, you know, we don't have all the lobbying dollars, if consumers are speaking loud and clear, which they are in the marketplace, then that is something, you know, that... Um, politicians absolutely have to pay attention to because those are their constituents, right? The consumers that are buying these products are are the ones that they have to pay attention to. And so that's part of our our messaging to make the case for this. But, you know, also I really think it's a matter of time and that, you know, we're seeing when we talk to, for example, younger politicians that they totally get it and they're excited about what we're doing. And just like, you know, with any issue, it's, it is really a matter of time of kind of the older guard, shall we say, um, aging out of Washington and the younger um, next generation coming in and, and going, you know, with the changing tides of, of both consumer interest, whatever the issue is, if it's, you know, healthier eating or um, other political issues. So I'm, I'm confident that, that over time we will gain that political strength that we need, but you know, I'm not naive about it, too. And there's no question we're up against um, some, some some very mighty lobbyists in Washington. Yeah. Um, now, we're going to touch on the um, dairy lobby a little later. But first of all, you, you were mentioning the um, the Expo West that just happened last week. So I, I want to ask you, what what did you see there? Like, what what is your impression? Where is the industry as a whole headed? And what can we expect yeah. to be happening next year? Mm-hmm. Well, it was um, it was pretty incredible. I would say my 
takeaway from it in terms of our our members, just you know, the sheer number of of our members that are there, first of all, and the explosion of plant-based in general. I mean, that was wasn't just me. Several other commentators noticed that plant-based was kind of all the buzz. You know, they saw it everywhere. And then within um, some of these our member booths and um, other companies, even I noticed just an explosion of uh, new products. So. You know, take uh, one of our board members, for example, Flower Your Heart came out with a whole new line of yogurts, and plant-based yogurts are exploding, and they have nine flavors <laughs> of of that category alone, and they had a, a, a couple of additional new product launches as well. Um, another member, Upton's Naturals, uh, came out with, I think, at least 10 new products. So there's just an explosion of of you know, products available, companies are innovating, they're going into different categories than they may not have been in before. You know, a company that may only have made meat substitutes is now making cheese-type products and vice versa. So there's just so much innovation happening, and um, and that, to me, really is a positive sign for the growth of this industry. And, of course, we need to see the translation of of those products being available on the store shelves and that's something that you know we at the trade group level will will help to to try and make happen and that's always the challenge because companies are obviously competing with each other for for shelf space and it can be um you know that's the kind of conversation that we want to have is tell retailers you know make more room on the shelf for plant-based don't let you know plant-based companies tend to compete with with each other on the shelf, which isn't great. So, you know, um, a company might have just a little bit of room for plant-based, and so, they, you know, a store has to um, make decisions about even within the same brand. Well, if we add a new product, we have to remove one of your other products. But, you know, what we're saying is retailers need to really respond to this growing you know, environmental crisis, first of all, of animal agriculture, and second of all, this really exciting innovation that we're seeing in plant-based and and reduce their shelf space for animal products while they increase their shelf space for plant-based. So, so that, to me, was the real takeaway, you know, the need for us to work at the trade group level as a group to make more room on the shelf for all these wonderful new foods that companies are coming out with. Speaking of innovation, like for you personally, what's what are some of the most exciting things that are just coming out now for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to choose. <laughs> There's just so so much out there. Um, I would say, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged by seeing, um, for example, let's talk about the yogurt category. You know, again, explosion of products out there. I was encouraged to see um, some companies acknowledging the sugar issues so they're coming out with unsweetened yogurts or some companies are having lower sugar content in their yogurts which is really important for me personally i um you know don't like the high sugar content and so i'm looking for a lower sugar type of product if i'm going to buy a yogurt so that was good to see and then um the, the variety of milks you know this the incredible variety of of milks that are out there you know obviously way beyond almond um there's a macadamia milk company there's you know all kinds of nuts and hemp and flaxseed milk that's one of our members is good karma they make a flaxseed milk and they also just came out with a yogurt uh so you know just seeing the variety out there is exciting um and then in the in the meat category 
uh, I think it's interesting we're seeing um, more than just the, the kind of preformed sausages. Uh, Tofurky, one of our board members, has this new line they call DIY, which I really like. So they're, you know, um, plant-based meats that you can cook up yourself in any way that you want, whether it's, you know, for ground meat or forming it into a patty or what have you, adding your own ingredients to flavor it the way you like. Um, so I think that's a, a nice innovation as well to let people, you know, kind of do what they want with these with these types of meats, similar to what they would do if they bought an animal version of ground meat, for example. Um, so, you know, there's just so much out there. And uh, one last category I'll, I'll mention, which is, you know, always fun, is ice cream. And uh, there are, um, you know, several companies out there that are making wonderful uh, vegan versions of ice cream. And one of our members is Coconut Bliss. And they have incredible flavors. What I really like about that company is that they're also organic Mm -hmm. and they use very clean ingredients. So I think that's another important aspect um, that, you know, we want to pay attention to, making sure that companies are, to the extent they can, sourcing ingredients responsibly. And Coconut Bliss is a really great example of a company that's that's both 100% plant-based and organic and really um, holds true to to those ideals. Right. So... In, in terms of innovation, I just got to ask this. Potentially, is there room within the Plant-Based Foods Association for cellular agriculture as well? Because that's, you know... So that's that, not something that we it's not um, pay attention to? Yeah. No. But, uh, I mean, it is it is one of those trends that, that, in my opinion, has a huge potential. I just don't know where where exactly it's going to be placed, you know? Yeah, well, I guess they'll have to figure that out. I don't know. It's definitely not plant-based. That's <laughs> yeah. all I know. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So, how about if if we compare now the plant-based products with, you know, non-vegan competition? What are some of the biggest challenges that companies mm-hmm. are facing? Yeah. Well, I think you know we already touched on one, which is getting room on the on the shelf, basically, mm-hmm. and and conventional channels where there's just you know just too little room, um, not enough. Of, of space and you know I think that um, look there's also just the reality of the pricing often the plant-based versions of you know meat and dairy products are are more expensive than um, the animal-based counterpoint parts and that's you know in part due to uh, government policies that mm-hmm. tend to really favor meat and dairy companies with all kinds of um, you know, um, government favors. So, like, let's yeah. talk about you know the subsidies, for example, in animal agriculture. You know, the fact that the feed is directly subsidized by our tax dollars for for the growth of animal foods, and then there's the checkoff program. So, there are large advertising budgets for meat and dairy. You know, when you see beef, it's what's for dinner, or the milk mustache ads. Those mm-hmm. are paid for by federally um, run programs. And so, you know, again, this is part of what we are working on at the trade group level, which is to help um, level the playing field, you know, and there's no question that right now it's not a level playing field. And so while there is this consumer shift happening, you know, my worry is that it's, it's, um, it's happening only among us, you know, relatively, um, it's not a mass market shift that it may be only happening among those who can afford to pay a bit more for 
these types of products. And so we want to make sure that everyone has um, access to and can afford to reduce their meat and dairy consumption because that's what absolutely needs to happen, you know, for a variety of reasons. So, so I would say, you know, simply gaining shelf space, um, convincing retailers to give them a chance, uh, especially the smaller guys that maybe haven't had a lot of, a lot of track record yet. And then, um, and then the pricing challenge is, is, you know, I think a long-term one that we need to face. How about active opposition from from conventional competitors such as the um, the Dairy Pride Act? How what what's the state of that? Mm-hmm. So first, let's explain what it is. So the dairy lobby has got its friends in Congress to introduce a bill they call the Dairy Pride Act, which would essentially not allow uh, companies that sell plant-based versions of milk and other dairy products to use those types of words. So soy milk couldn't be called soy milk. It would have to be called soy beverage. You know, cheese alternative wouldn't even be allowed. They'd have to come up with some other name. And so um, this is a a very, um, you know, um, ridiculous bill, really, that the dairy lobby has put forth. And the status is it's just been introduced and only one senator that I could see uh, has signed on to it, the senator from Wisconsin who introduced it. And then there's uh, maybe um, 10 or 12 members of the House that have signed on to the companion bill in the House that was introduced uh, back in January. So, But um, our intelligence is it's not going anywhere anytime soon, um, but that doesn't mean it couldn't, um, you know, something could change in the future. And so we have a lobbyist working for us right now in Washington to make sure that it, it doesn't it doesn't get passed. But is- because th- this is something that's um, not not unique to right here and and right now. Because I, I think we've been hearing similar versions from from different countries for a while. I know that uh, New Zealand was discussing something similar recently, and um, Germany had that thing about vegan sausages. I think, or well, they they had the uproar about not not serving dinner at um, at functions anymore. Um, is is there any sort of how should we put this like legal ground for for even considering something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, FDA does have rules around um, you know certain definitions of foods, and so you know the idea here it would be to require FDA to define um, dairy terms in a certain way that wouldn't allow plant based versions of these foods to use those terms. And so, you know, there is some precedent for just, you know, limiting how certain terms can be used on foods under FDA law. But, you know, we're saying this is a ridiculous interpretation or rather change in FDA law to be so restrictive in how words like milk and cheese and ice cream can be used. Um, and Wait, you're it's, right, it's, it's ice cream as well? Similar to- Oh yeah, every oh. any type of dairy product, not just milk, but you name it. Any anything that resembles a dairy product would fall under this bill. I mean, and I will say there are definitions right now of words like milk and cheese and ice cream. But you know, we maintain that as long as the companies and and all of them do qualify these words. So you know, there's really no confusion in the marketplace when someone picks up a carton of almond milk or, you know, a cheese alternative. I mean, these products are all labeled with 
um, what are called qualifying terms, such as non-dairy or vegan, or you know, that's the whole idea. They want to communicate to the consumer that these products are non-dairy. That's their whole marketing yeah. strategy, right? Um, there, but the challenge is there aren't enough clear guidelines currently under FDA rules for companies to know how to clearly communicate that to a consumer. And so there's a lot of inconsistencies. And that is something that is actually one of the main reasons that um, we formed the association was to help companies address this challenge, to be more consistent, to create some definitions of our own around what a cheese alternative is or a non-dairy yogurt is, et cetera. And so that's something that we have um, started to undertake at, at, you know, within our membership and it is something that we will take some time to figure out. We just don't need the dairy industry's help with how to address that particular challenge. And so, you know, this hall has, we'll see how it all plays out. But, you know, I'm confident that our industry can come together and create some uh, more meaningful definitions of the food categories and then present that to FDA, perhaps, when it's ready and, you know, um, address this issue that way as opposed to the dairy industry's preferred way of dealing with it which is you know they get to dictate um what these foods are called yeah um well i'm glad to hear that this issue is actually making more more waves than than actual impact because i think also from the consumer standpoint it's not like anyone is going to be tricked into drinking almond milk when they actually wanted cow's milk right i mean Consumers don't go and then scratch their heads in front of the, the aisle because they're they're right. looking for something that's not labeled properly. Uh, mm -hmm. I would imagine right. that, right? Cool. Right. So what yep. right now the Plant-Based Foods Association has been in operation for just over a year, right? Yes, we just had our one-year anniversary what, in, earlier in March. What are what are your biggest accomplishments in in this year? Well, you know, I'm really happy that we have um, gotten to 80 members in a year. That seems like a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself. And then, you know, we've um, gotten lots of media attention, been mentioned in the New York Times a few times, and just a, a lot of other media hits. And part, part of it lately is thanks to the dairy lobby activity. You know, we've gotten lots of media around that, and it's all been positive. And... Um, you know, we've also gotten on, on the radar of a few members of Congress. We've had some visits with uh, a few of our board members have been visiting with their members of Congress. And so, you know, we're, we're definitely basically being looked to as the go-to resource for the plant-based foods industry. And I'm really, I'm really pretty, pretty proud of that. And, you know, all of the other things that we've talked about already are accomplishments. So the community that we're building that the resources that we're sharing with our members, the connecting of members to other businesses that want to, you know, get their business or do business with them in some other way. I mean, there's been so many times that I've connected, let's say, like a, a distributor in Japan wants access to um, a few of our members' products, so I've introduced that person to our members. Mm -hmm. Or an ingredient supplier, or, um you know, wants to know who they can do business with. You know, there's just so many. I, I can't even, I don't even know all of the business transactions that have come out of all of the ways that I've been um, helping our members connect with other businesses. So, you know, there's just, um, 
it's really an exciting time for the industry because there's you know so much buzz around it. And so I would say just helping to facilitate um, those kinds of interactions, and of course helping our members succeed, and um, just building this community. And then you know this year we'll be embarking on some more tangible programs that we've already talked about with outreach to retailers and of course making sure this bill doesn't pass and and so you know we've built a really solid foundation in year one with our membership with getting the word out with becoming the go-to resource and now we're really ready to to take it to the next level and and see what we can do all right so now if we wrap this up and just look towards the future what what in a nutshell is the future that the plant-based foods association is helping create not next year but within the next decade where do you see this going? Yeah, well, I see it. Um, you know, there's no question that the consumer movement is is going to help propel this industry forward, and so I see the Plant Based Foods Association really being an important, you know, partner in that. And you know, I think expanding the opportunities at at retail is critical. But also, you know, we haven't talked at all about food service, and so one of our um, other areas of focus is to help companies get into and navigate college university dining, um, you know, restaurants. I mean, there's so many ways that how how, companies how can big be. is that? Just do do you have any numbers mm -hmm. that that you can throw out? What 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 is the size of that market? Well, if you think about the food industry in in general. Um, is like a trillion dollar industry, I think. And then the, about half of that is in retail and half of it is in restaurants. So it's it's big. And, you know, depending on the economy, people eat out more or less. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes when the economy is bad, people contract in their, their eating out habits. But um, but of course, you know, university dining <laughs> pretty much stays the same because kids are trapped at college and they're going to have they have to eat there. Um, so, you know, we definitely see huge opportunities in, in food service, especially college universities where young people, you know, of course, as we talked about before, are really driving the change and shift towards plant based and college campuses all over this country are recognizing that and they have to, you know, they really have to um, respond to the, their student population and the consumer demand that happens on their on their campuses and so so that's an area that we really want to expand in and, and be able to provide resources to the decision makers on college campuses and you know any other kinds of food service operators that that we um, you know know would be interested in what are types of foods that our members have to offer so I see you know all of that just exploding over the next 10 years and again the innovation I don't think we can even imagine yet um, you know, what kind of innovation we'll be seeing, you know, more companies that are trying to create similar experiences with different types of meat, you know, we're starting to see that already, and I'm sure that's just going to continue. I think there's just so much, um, you know, um, potential for for food companies to succeed and to help um, push the envelope. So it's, it's going to be a very exciting time. Yes, I, I totally, totally agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. Now, just a final question, Michelle, for anyone who is not yet a member or who wants to know more, what, what are the ways to join the association or just to follow or, mm -hmm. or support what you're doing? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. So our website is plantbasedfoods.org, plantbasedfoods.org, 
the word food is plural, and you can find everything you need to know there. There's a join us tab, and it explains the you know the ways to join. They, we have a regular company membership, you know, for companies that are making or selling plant-based foods. But we also have a, an affiliate option, which is for people like yourself who just want to support the industry in some way or another. And then, of course, we are always happy to take donations from folks who want to um, help support us that way because we have a lot of smaller companies that, you know, are great to have as members. And, we, you know, it's hard to um, to make this operations succeed in the way we need to with just uh, smaller companies as members because we kept the membership dues really low at that low le- at that entry level and then finally um, we've got of course, all kinds of social media you can follow us um, on all the usual channels and sign up for our mailing list uh, and you can find all of that at, at the website yeah and that will be all in the show notes as well and i have to say um Really happy to be an affiliate of, of the Plant-Based Foods Association and be supporting you at least in, in that way. And I, I hope that from this interview, people will get to learn even more about what you're doing. So I, I hope this helps you expand your membership this, this year as well. Well, thank you. I, I hope so, too. And I really appreciate your support in, in every way. And it's, it's folks like you that really, you know, do make a difference in, in us getting the word out and, and helping to, to grow this industry and, and help make the world a better place. So I, I do appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Michelle, thank you for doing the same on, on your side. And thank you for joining me today. That's really nice thank talking you. to I you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Great. Have Hi. an awesome day. Bye-bye. Right, so that was Michelle Simon, the Executive Director of the Plant-Based Foods Association. I mentioned in the intro that this is a U.S. organization, so if you have any sort of vegan food business in America, I think you absolutely need to be a member. But even if you're based elsewhere or if you're not a food company, like the Plant-Based Entrepreneur, for instance, I think it's still an organization that's very worth supporting by either donating to them or becoming an affiliate. Because you know that what happens in the States has a big impact on the plant-based markets and products all around the world too. So to check everything that we touched on with Michelle today, you'll find all the links in the show notes, which are as always at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 021. Like I told you, that website is also where you can download your copy of our Insider Report on the best plant-based business opportunities in 2017. And if you want to get in touch, send in your comments or suggestions, you can either connect with me directly on Instagram at jerry underscore saver. That's J-E-R-R-Y underscore S-E-V-E-R. Or flick me an email on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. It's always great to hear what sort of impact this is making in your life and your business. Now, that's all for today. I'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, stay amazing and keep creating a plan-based future.